starting at verse 27, Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 27, and we will read through Romans 4, verse 12. Would you please stand for God's reading of God's holy word? Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now as the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the, un the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all people who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised this is the word of the lord So there was a past story of a pastor who uh, told the story of a frog that one time fell into a bucket of milk, and the sides of this bucket were high enough that this frog, with all of its strength, could not jump out. He was just, he, every time he tried to jump out of this bucket, he failed. Every time he did, the sides were too high, and because of this, he was just floating in this milk. And there was no way for him to get any kind of leverage to get himself out for that, that needed leap, that push off. So he did only the thing that he knew he could do. He paddled. He paddled and paddled and paddled and paddled and paddled and paddled some more until one day 
his paddling had churned the milk and made it into butter, from which he was able to launch himself into freedom. The pastor's message that day was this. Just keep paddling. Keep working. Keep on doing your best, and you will make it. I think that's sometimes what people expect when they come to church, right? Just keep working. Just keep doing your best. One day, just one day, if you keep on doing more, you are going to measure up. If you just keep doing more. It's not only the message that we hear or we fear that we're going to hear in church, but it's also the message that we hear in our culture, right? Just keep doing it. Just keep working. You keep doing it, you are someday going to measure up. And if you really think about that message, it is absolutely exhausting. It is absolutely debilitating, and in reality, that is not good news at all. Just keep doing more. So today we are going to ask ourselves, what truly is good news? What really is this gospel message that is freedom, that gives hope for those who are just keep paddling, just keep working, just keep doing more? What is this good news? So what is the message that we even want to share with as many people as possible? I hear Gabe this morning say, you know, how, what is the message, or last night we were talking about, what, what is this message I need to share I heard also with another person from our worship team saying, I, I just feel like I, I don't know what to say. How do I be a light with my other coworkers? What is that good news that we need to be telling? So this, today, I want to share with you what this message of good news really is. And I want to share it for two reasons. Here's the first one. Because we need to hear it. I need to hear this good news because my natural tendency is to perform. I just need to keep doing more. I just need to do this, to perform in such a way that I gain God's approval, right? But secondly, I'm sharing this message because we need to share it. Not only do I need to receive it and believe it and rest in it, but I need to, you need to share this good news. So my goal is to give you something that you can use as you are sharing the gospel with other people. So I want to encourage you, take notes. I want to encourage you to write it down because the aim is that you, sometime in the next couple weeks or maybe tomorrow, you actually share the good news. So what's at the heart of the Christian message? What's really at the heart of the Christian message? One way to put it is to look at three things. One is how we try to measure up. Two, we need to say, look at what does the Bible say about how we measure up? And then we are going to look at, in light of all that, what do we need to do? So this passage really gets at the heart of the problem. Some of you are going, okay, I was here last week. Why did we go back to verse 27? Uh, it feels like 
a repeat. But I think this is really an important kind of thing in our culture that is constantly demanding us to be working harder and doing more, especially in our religious world. It, it gets to the heart of the problem that's common for all of humanity. What really is going on, it's true for everyone who is present here, the problem is our boasting. Our boasting. And what is the deal with boasting? Well, in history, boasting was a ritual, kind of a, a, a pattern or a practice that people would even use before going out into battle. There was kind of a boasting and the kind of the thumping on the chest to say, look, look at what we have done, look at what we have accomplished. They would line up and the commander or the king would give this great, amazing speech about all the things that they had accomplished. And at that point, even before they would be sent into certain death, right, they're lined up with their, their sticks, their pitchforks, their stones, and some swords maybe, give this rousing speech, and then send them into impending death. It's kind of a ritual boast. William the Conqueror, one of the first kings, Williams, William I in England around 1067 A.D., reminded all of his soldiers of all the insults that his enemies made against their families. So he's kind of getting their goat, right? And he says this, May the lightning of your glory be seen and the thunders of your onset heard from east to west and be ye the avengers of noble blood. Or maybe one speech a little bit more familiar. How about this one? Will you fight? What's this from? Braveheart, yeah. Will you fight? And a veteran soldier responded, Fight against that? No, we will run and we will live. Right? And then William Wallace with the blue painted face, he stands up and he says, Aye, fight and you may die. Run and you live at least for a while. Right? You can hear him, right? Uh, and, and thank you. I'm working on my Scottish being Presbyterian. <laughs> and dying in your beds for many years from now, would you be willing to trade all your days from this day to that day for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell your enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom, right? And then there's just this, all this crowd of boys and men and farmers just just roar right at that moment. They go crazy, and then they go into battle. You see this all throughout history, as well as in literature. You see this in Shakespeare, a kind of boasting in ourselves, kind of working yourselves up into a frenzy. And what's interesting is that the Bible takes this and says that this is what our human heart does. You can take my life, but, you know, it's just this kind of, look at what I can do. In fact, this is a spiritual problem that each and every one of us has. It's boasting the public proclamation that we're satisfied with our own achievements. Look at what I have done. In the passage we just read, the Apostle Paul says this, what then 
becomes of our boasting. It is what? Excluded. It's excluded. By what, by what kind of law? By the law of works? No. By the law of faith. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from, disconnected from the works of the law. This is what happens when a frog paddles hard enough to create butter and escape the bucket. It's what we celebrate in all the stories from rags to riches. We celebrate what I have done. It's, it's why we read self-help books and why we try to just do better. It's ultimately, it is a problem. And here's the heart of what Paul says in this verse. Human boasting is to be excluded in our desire to be measured up before God. Your boasting is to be excluded when you are trying to measure up before God. It's something that religious people do, but it's also something that is a problem for each and every one of us. We tend to take pride in our accomplishments and we base our standing on these things. I heard Tim Keller preach on this passage. And if you haven't heard Tim Keller, he's, a, he's one of those minds that you listen to him and you go, your mind just kind of does a little exploding kind of thing. He said this, the whole idea between ritual boast, the whole idea behind ritual boast is we can do it. We can get it. We're strong enough. We're good enough. What God says is the problem with every human heart is you look at your beauty you look at your smarts, you look at your talent, you look at anything good about yourself, you look at your achievements, and you say, I did that. You take credit for it. Every single soul, every single soul makes its boast in something. So I want to look at two kinds of boasting before we get to Romans chapter 4 to kind of drive it home. And these, these are common to all of us. First, there's a, a non-religious kind of way of measuring up, right? The first kind of boasting is, has this non-religious boasting. It, it looks like money. It looks like strength. It looks like athletic ability. It looks like beauty. It looks like intelligence. It looks like career success. It looks like bankroll. And it could be family. It could be social standing. It could be a reputation. We look at those things and we say, this is exactly why I am valuable. Look at these things. This is why I have value. This is why I am worth it. This is my glory. This is my strength. Because of this, I am worth it. Is anybody guilty of that here? All of us. We all do this. We're no different from the warriors going into battle. When we really get down to it. If you know me at all, and if, you, if I know you at all, we've probably already discovered each other's boasts. 
If you've been in a missional community or you've been around this church long enough, I can say, mm-hmm. I know where you are boasting. I know, I know where you find your worth, your significance, where you think you really land at the end of the day. We're all guilty of this. But Paul says that that kind of boasting is to be excluded. But he gives another kind of boasting that is to be excluded also. Religious ways of measuring up, right? In the context, Paul was talking about the boasting that a religious person would do based on how good a person really is. And Paul says that any kind of boasting like that, based on our moral record, your morality, your internal goodness, that kind of boasting is to be completely excluded. Completely excluded. It's just not welcome. It's a, it's a problem, and actually it's a disease. It's not what the gospel is about at all, and we all do it. Look at my goodness. Look at what I've accomplished spiritually. Look how many people follow me. Look how many people come to me for advice. Look at my children and how spiritual they are. Look at this. Look how many times I go to church. Look at how big or how small or how conservative or how great our church family is. Look at all these things. I want to count this as amazing. And Paul uses the case study of Abraham. Abraham was the man that God chose thousands of years earlier to be the founder of Israel. But God chose Abraham not because of anything that Abraham could boast about. There was nothing. God chose Abraham simply because of grace. If Abraham could boast about anything, Paul is saying, why would we think that we could do anything else? And if there's a kind of boasting that is especially dangerous, it is religious boasting. And it's also a kind of a boasting that is most off-putting, isn't it? Religious boasting. If you're a church-going person, you may, may be in greater boasting than you realize. James Boyce, uh, Presbyterian preacher at 10th Press in Philadelphia, said this. The sphere of life in which most people show the most pride is religion. And there is good reason for this. Religion, not true Christianity, but religion is a in the generic sense, is the ultimate setting for the worst expressions of pride. For it is in religion alone that we claim, are able to claim that God, not mere human beings, set his approval on us as superior to any other human beings. Moreover, the more demanding or rigorous our religion is, the more prideful we become. Look at what I've done. You see how many classes and how many people and what, how many times I show up, how many activities I do. Then he quotes, James Boyce quotes C.S. Lewis who says this, whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are acted on 
Not by God, but by the devil. So any kind of boasting is dangerous. But religious boasting based on our faithfulness, our knowledge, our piety, or especially, may be especially dangerous. And there's, there's the problem. Our boasting, our working to make ourselves to be good enough. So this is what, when we're talking about practical ways to share the gospel, what do, we, what do we share? We all desire to measure up. We all do this. Just because you come to Christ does not mean that you are exempt from it suddenly. In fact, it's something that we have to check our heart more often. Religious people do it. Non-religious people do it as well. And it's futile. I think I, I, I want to talk about some common ways that, that people are really tempted to measure up. Health, career success, wealth, status. I'd want to talk about some ways that you have personally been tempted to measure up and boast. It helps when you're really honest about your own shortcomings, your own struggles. We're all, we all try to measure up, but the Bible says it never works. So what is the answer? Where, where do we go? Romans 5, 4, 4 to 5 gives us the explanation. And the alternative to measuring up is wrapped up all in one word. And the word is grace. Grace. Now to the one who works, his, his wages are not counted as a gift, that, but as his due. In other words, if a man works, he's entitled to somebody. And the employer, the man above him, is entitled. Is obligated to give him something, right? You work, I work 40 hours, 50 hours, I'm entitled to 10 hours of overtime, 40 hours of regular pay. You owe me that. You owe me that. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So notice the contrast. There's the working versus not working. Working is trying to measure up. If God accepts us because we measure up, Paul then says, God accepts us out of, our, out of obligation. God's now obligated to give you something. He, he uses the examples of jobs. If we are able to do this with God, then our standing before him would never be a gift. It would be something we deserved and something that we could brag about. We would be able to boast and be spiritually proud. Life would be a, a meritocracy where, look at my merit, look at what I've accomplished. And we would be able to just say, look at me. God only accepts good people to get in. Good people. And you become proud because you've earned it. The reality is that there is no one good. We're reminded in Romans there's not one righteous. No. Not one. There's not one. So, so what do we do? We believe instead. We believe to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Ah, that man, 
his faith is counted as righteousness. So what, what, what is Paul saying? God is not looking for good people. And for a lot of us, that should be a sigh of relief. God is not looking for good people. You don't clean up to come to church. You don't clean up to come to Christ. God is not looking for good people. He's looking for people who are work. He's not looking for people who are working hard to earn a standing before him. God is looking for imperfect people like you and me. Thank God that God is looking for those kind of people. So how does it work? It works because Jesus' righteousness is credited, is given to us. We use the credit, we get the credit only from the most, we, we, we get that credit only from the most perfect person who has ever lived, the only perfect who has ever lived. And that is good news. So Paul is saying to the one who doesn't work but trusts God, that person receives the mark of righteousness. And that is good news. He gives the example of David, right? Still David was counted as righteous. He looks at the mark of circumcision and says, okay, what, what, what comes first? Is it the mark of circumcision or is it faith? The answer is always faith. He believed and it was counted as righteousness. He didn't do an act and counted as righteous. No, he believed and it was counted as righteous. So how do we communicate this to your neighbors, your, your lost friends, your families, your coworkers? How do we communicate that? There are, there are many ways to communicate the gospel. Like last week, we talked about a diamond when it turned. You can see multiple different facets all the time, different ways that you turn it. And the same is true with how we communicate it. This is just one of them. We can share that everyone tries to measure up. We all try to do this using religious things. We talk, talk about going to church, being a moral person, giving the right amount of cash, doing the right kind of activities. Do this, do that. Or we can talk about non-religious ways of measuring up by our achievements, our wealth, our status. But everyone tries to measure up. We all look to something so that we know that we've made it. But the message of the Bible, friends, is clear. And it is this, that our efforts to measure up before God always, always, always backfire. They always backfire. The best thing we can do is to become imperfect people doing good things. And that still sucks. That's never enough. The good news of the gospel is that God accept, accepts people who don't work, but trust God to make them right because Jesus had accomplished it for them. That's the good news. This is the heart of the gospel. Dane Ortland, in his book called Defiant Grace, said this, Christianity is the unreligion. 
it turns all of our religious instincts on their heads. The ancient Greeks told us to be moderate by knowing our inclinations. The Romans told us to be strong by ordering our lives. Sound like some of us, right? Just be strong, order your lives, keep it all straight, and have your spice rack alphabetized. And uh, Buddhism tells us to, to be disillusioned by annihilating our consciousness. Just clear your mind, right? Hinduism tells us to be absorbed by merging our souls. Islam tells us to be submissive by submitting our will. Agnosticism tells us to be at peace by ignoring our doubts. Moralism tells us to be good by discharging our obligations. Only the gospel tells us to be free by acknowledging our failures. I love it. That, that should be, you wake up and say, oh, this week, this morning, oh, wait, next 15 seconds, I am going to drop the ball again. I'm going to drop the ball again. Dane Orland goes to, on to say, Christianity is the unreligion because it is the one faith whose founder tells us to bring not our doing, but our need. Quit doing. I'm not saying quit volunteering in the children's ministry or quit you know, helping set up and tear down and stuff like that. That's not what this is about. Quit doing to gain approval. At the end of the day, bring your need again to Christ. This is the gospel. I need you, God, and I need you again in this next 15 seconds. I need you in the next five seconds. I need you in the next hour. I need you. I'm exhausted from doing and trying to gain your approval. I'm done. The only thing that I can bring to you is my need. We're reminded every morning as the sun comes up, his mercies are new every morning. His grace is dawning again for each new day. And this, friends, is a simple message that we all need to believe. And this is a simple message that we need to communicate. Amen? Okay. Father God, you are the one who prepares the table for us, even in the presence of our enemies. You, you have, even before we breathed our first breath and we saw the light of day, Lord, you prepared a way for us. You, you provide a way that will satisfy our, our deepest longings, our our greatest need, and you provided salvation. And Lord, that is a gift of grace. Help us, Lord, to quit the fight of trying to measure up to accomplish our salvation, to accomplish uh, your divine pleasure. May we remain faithful. May we grow in our sanctification. May we become more holy. But may, the, may those not be things that we think earn our salvation but they are done out of gratitude and even out of a holy fear on who you are and what you have done for us. I thank you, Lord, for sections like this that remind us of what the gospel 
is and how we are to respond to it. We pray this in Jesus' name.